friends, welcome to episode 83 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I am Sarah. I'm Rob. How we doing, Rob? I am full. Oh my god, We so had a good much, dinner. So much sushi. It was good. It was oh, good. it was good. It I was mean, good. you know, celebrating with a good friend for a good year. Yeah. So. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, so we've, we've, we played any D and D lately. Uh, Sean had his game yeah. last, uh, uh, last week. Uh, went pretty good. Went pretty how, good. How is he liking Foundry now? This is like a second or third. Yeah, this, Foundry? Is, this is a second game with Foundry. Okay, good, um, good. So we've kind of taken the, taken the full round. Um, I've had one full game with Foundry. You've had one full game with Foundry, and this, yes. is, this is Sean's second. I've had a player and a, a DM experience yep. in Foundry, so that was good. Uh, so we, I would say it's a lot smoother now. Nice. Um, we're still working out some things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I think there's there's some some prep issues you know, just got to make sure that you have all that stuff because it's it's not as easy just to pull stuff out on the fly you have to like import it into the game and yeah. you know, make tokens for things and stuff like that but it doesn't take long but it does take a significant amount of time that sometimes you need to call for a bathroom break or something like that you know? yeah but that's the beauty of it is like a five minute break can solve a lot yeah yeah and and that's that's great mm-hmm. i mean especially online when you're trying to pull stuff together having a tool that's Functional, mm-hmm. available, stays up. I mean, worst case scenario, you refresh the browser window. Yeah, that's yeah. that's nice because I know you ran into some issues with yours when we were running it, where you were getting it caught up, and there were some other things going on. Uh, with it, it was crashing my browser altogether. Right, but you were able yeah. to just refresh. Yeah, basically. and that's that's wonderful. That's a great feature versus having to have everybody disconnect, reconnect those kinds of things. It happened three times, and I think you guys only knew about it twice because right. I didn't even mention it the third time. Exactly. Back in, exactly. So. so that that's beautiful. I like those kinds of things. And I think it's good to have your audio and your visuals on separate yeah. uh, device, you know, separate apps or whatever so that it you're, you're never losing the whole connection to a person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's kind of obvious. So, no. Good um, stuff. Good stuff. No, what I will say, though, uh, mm-hmm. is that uh, Sean and I have been delving really heavily into um, map making software and stuff like that lately. And so we've been kind of previewing some of the other offerings out there. A mutual friend of ours... Mm-hmm. Um, highlighted to us that there was a humble bundle of a bunch of maps and map assets. Yes, I saw that. And even uh dungeon draft mapping software. Yeah. Uh and so we were uh I, Oh no no sorry well, that wasn't part of the humble bundle. The no, no. part of the, it was cart campaign cartographer. cartographer. Yeah. No, I haven't played around with that. It's been a long time since I've touched campaign cartographer. Um but we were playing we we did pick up um for I think $15 uh copies of Dungeon Draft. Yes. And so um, I've been able to kind of compare and contrast that between that and Dungeon Fog, which I really mm-hmm. liked. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mentioned yeah. that here on the show. Um, and Dungeon Draft is, uh, I, w- I would say it's it's less intuitive than Dungeon Fog in a lot of ways for like interior design and stuff like that. But sure. what it does exceptionally well is nature stuff. Hmm. Um, there's just a water brush. That's nice. And you can just be like, there's a river. Nice. And I don't really think Dungeon Fog has that functionality, or at least if it does, I haven't found it. You kind of need to, like, Photoshop draw that sort of stuff. It doesn't mm. have just a brush okay. that does it for you. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they've, they've got slightly different art styles to them and whatnot. So, But I, I think they're they're really great for what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've been watching a lot of tutorials about Dungeon Draft and stuff like that. Um, it's $15 uh to, to go pick up so if you guys are looking for some mapping software and dungeon yeah. fog didn't strike you stri- scratch that itch for you um i would highly recommend dungeon draft yeah and there's there are actually really nice uh videos of it out there seeing people use it work with it um i am not an artist and i picked it up because uh i i know that if i have a vision in my mind of something i can work with it to get what i want out of it mm-hmm. um like I will happily pay Patreon memberships to get maps because the, I need that. Yeah I, yeah, I have a rough idea of what I want, but I'm never going to be that level of visually creative, and I'll be crappy with colors. I'm just—it's not something I'm good at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but having the availability to do something quick if I need something and I can't find something out there that meets my needs with with the the people that I have, um, it's nice. It's really nice. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, Sean was also getting uh, map asset packs and stuff like that too. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can import those into Dungeon Draft or Dungeon Fog, actually, which is nice, and um, have those available as assets to put into your maps. Nice. Um, and he was able to get a lot of those by joining their Patreon mm-hmm. for uh, uh, Forgotten Adventures. I think is is the okay. Um, 
the the group that, nice. that, that puts all those asset packs together. So, nice. uh, you know, give give those things a look out. There's another another kind of little shout out. Again, we're it's not not a paid sponsorship. It's no. just we're finding great stuff out there and want to share it with you as a community. Yep, yep. So, are we ready to close up this mini series? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Um. So again, we're gonna kind of outline where we were going with this mini series, and that is we're talking about uh, the mini series talking about random encounters and that they are not really random. Mm-hmm. Um. And when we're talking about an encounter, we're talking about a scene, like in a movie, mm-hmm. that has a specific challenge that the players have to overcome. I mean, it might be combat, it might be social, it might be some interaction in some way. And it, it is a stage to showcase their skills in a meaningful way. Um, and it has three elements, really, and that's stakes, options, and triggers. And you'll find this in all of them. We've kind of broken it down, but we'll 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 briefly go over those again when we kind of go into this. Um, but the point is, is that there's always stakes for the players and for the other side, regardless of what the other side is. Um, whether it be life, it doesn't have to be life and death. It could be money, gift, honors, respect, whatever. Options for the PCs to do give them availability to be able to make decisions and have results for those decisions, and then triggers for what it means. Where mm-hmm. does it go from there? So. Um, this week we are talking about basically the stuff we didn't talk about up to this point, which is weird. The out of scope encounters is kind of what we've been calling it, but that's not really an official term. It's just kind of like, what do you call that junk drawer of, of encounters that don't really fit into a combat encounter or a social encounter or a dungeon trap puzzle encounter? Yeah. Maybe it's a mixed bag of those things. Yeah. Maybe it's not really any of those, or it could be one of those. Sure. And that's kind of where we're at with this. And that's why it's out of scope is because it doesn't fit neatly into the bag of the things we've already discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, what we're saying is, is that they are not a main encounter. They're, they're not something that was crafted um, there. So they're, they still fit into the, um, the random encounter style. Um, but they're not directly combat or social uh, encounters or one of like the puzzle encounters. They they literally don't fit scope, mm-hmm. and that's the the thing that we're we're kind of getting at. It's still a challenge. There's yeah. still going to be some plot exposition in right. it, whether it's information or direct description. Um, but mostly it it fills that void. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I think these are. I, I kind of like these these sort of scenes as the um, and these sort of encounters as like the glue between your main scenes that you use to kind of cement things together to, to 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 string them from one to the other to the other to the other. Yeah. Um. Because you you need those sort of scenes. You can't always be jumping from puzzle to social to combat and mm-hmm. back to puzzle. It's you know there there's. There's got to be some room for just role play in there. Yeah, and I, and I think your players ask for that. Like, yeah. they may want to do something in between. They may need to prepare. Maybe they want to go get information. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't feel like they know enough, and you need a way to give them that. Right, to right. Put, to help them walk through the scenario. Again, we're not railroading them. We're giving them options, and sometimes on the fly, those options need to be filler. Yeah. Um. And well, well, plus you you can't you can't always be you know uh, you can't always be on. Oh God, no! You know uh, you can't you can't always be going a mile a minute with with action and plot and stuff. That people need those rests to just kind of have a a chill scene in yeah. between a lot of the, you got to have some lows so you can have highs. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's it's nice to slow things down and just have some of these um, lower scope. Uh, encounters so that you can give that kind of contrast so that you have somewhere to go from there when the stuff does start hitting the fan. Right. But it doesn't mean you have to drop the quality. You don't have to get straight up lazy and tired. You want your players to feel like every one of your scenes are meaningful. If you're going to have a scene that involves an NPC in a conversation or a place and an event and a challenge, you want it to have some meaning. Mm -hmm. And it really doesn't take a lot to get to that point. Yeah, no. There's some some basic things that you can throw together, but um, maybe some examples before we get into that. Yeah, I think that's that's, okay. that's probably good because we're, we're we're kind of beating around the bush a little um, bit here. So what what are what are we talking about when we talk about out of scope com- uh, uh, encounters? Um, so like smaller bespoke encounters. Um, 
I had uh, I had one that, that was pretty memorable for you guys was mm-hmm. the Battle of the Bards. Yeah. Um, I've mentioned, I think, on the show before, but uh, it was you guys were just traveling. It was a three-day journey up a major road mm-hmm. that was well-patrolled, so it wasn't like you guys were going to have random combat encounters along it. Mm-hmm. But there are inns interspersed throughout sure. this road. That we definitely would be stopping at. Way stops on the, on the, on the mm-hmm. travel, because they know it's a long journey from one city to the other. Right. Uh, and so there was one of them was just hosting a Battle of the Bards. Mm-hmm. And we you had a bard. Yeah, we did. In your, uh, in your party. So they entered in, and there was a singing competition, and um, uh, everybody was performing with their stuff. In the meantime, the Nord got involved in some arm wrestling on the side. You guys were placing wagers as to who would win. And it was kind of a throwaway encounter um, in that it didn't, you know, we, we talk about it needing to have plot exposition. I don't know if there was really plot exposition, but there was some stakes. There was a There was a prize he could have won. Um, he did not end up winning narrowly, uh, but um, there was a like a kind of a magic item that would have given him a little bit of a bonus to his uh, to his performance checks uh, if he'd have won. Um, and you guys got a little bit of world building. You had a little bit of fun. You had some uh, team building. You know, you got to know each other as as party members a little bit better through the exercise, and then you moved on. Yeah, you know. Um... Uh, the th- kind of stuff that I think about is um, something more like uh, shopping. Mm-hmm. Like, players ask to do shopping all the time. Like, oh, we're going to go do this thing. Oh, I want to go do some shopping. And usually there's like a, great, I'm just going to go take a nap while this is going on. There's no reason why that can't be a, an otoscope encounter, a, a, a filler piece that makes sense, that gives your players something. Um, and allows them a little bit of plot exposition, but also a meaningful role play with an NPC. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's social. Maybe there's a challenge there. Maybe the guy doesn't want to make the sword or make the shield or, or doesn't have the potions that you need, you know, but has a few of the components. And maybe if you got him the other ones, he could finish it off. Yeah, absolutely. You know, or maybe you want to negotiate because it just costs too damn much and you just don't have it at that moment in time. All of those are good encounters that show role play with your players can give a little bit of extra, maybe drop a little bit of plot or or a world setting that helps identify the players and gives them a little extra. Might even of, motivate a side quest for yeah. them. Yeah. And at that point, now they're interested. They're hooked into the game even more just by letting them shop in a meaningful way. You know, and I, I dare say shopkeepers are one of your quickest ways to introduce beloved NPCs to your <laughs> uh, to your, to your players. Or feared? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I'm just I'm thinking, you know, as a, as a, as a big critter myself, mm-hmm. um, uh, the obligatory critical role mention of the of the podcast is uh, that Matt Mercer does a really great job of of uh, shopkeeper NPCs. And oftentimes, um, like throughout, especially campaign one, the shopkeepers were some of the most beloved NPCs. In fact, like one of them turned out to be a really powerful mage and they ended up dragging him into like the last battle with like the big bad evil guy at the end because they just kept involving him in stuff, you know? It's like he owns this magic this, this magic shop, and he's really nothing more than just a a a, a flamboyant gay guy uh, named Gilmore, who who owns magical you know magical fantastic stuff, and his glorious Gilmore Gilmore's glorious goods, and but they just fell in love with this character, and they kept dragging him into things, you know. But aside from that, you had, you know, Victor, there was that one potion seller in uh, Vasselheim, I think it was, who they, they terrorized every time they went in there because they would, like, haggle him down with prices, and then they would get, like, weird, just, there was a lot of stuff involved with that guy, but he kicked them out and, like, would, like, call the cops on them if they ever came back <laughs> into his store. But it was, but it was character building, it was world yeah, building, though, yeah, you yeah. know? And no. so when, when you knew, you know, like, okay, so you walk into the potion shop and the guy, you know, he's, he's doing this and doing that. And he looks up at you and just goes ghost white and goes, no, no, not you, not again. You know, <laughs> you're like, oh, it's this guy. Nice. You nice. Know? And then you have the alternative, which is my plot shop keeper yeah. from 7C who kept coming around because he was actually an unseelie. He was uh-huh. a fae. And like what turn what used to be a very what would have been a very simple scene mm-hmm. became this complex gambit of when is he going to show up again 
Right. You know, wh- when's that shop just going to be in the next I town? I mean, you didn't think he'd be a major player in the campaign. Not at least. And here he is, like, swooping into the rescue to one of our PCs because she put out the call, you yeah. know? She asked for it, and technically she fulfilled some of his goals, so he needed to he, reply. He's indebted to yeah. her, and that's a thing for the Fae. Very much so. Yep. Very much so. And and it changed the scope of the game. Again, became something that the players looked for. Mm-hmm. All and... because you put in a weird shopping encounter. Indeed. Yep. Indeed. Um... Also, roadside encounters are great. Yeah. I, I Like, you did one that was the inn, but there's nothing to say that when your players camp for something that they don't find somebody or someone runs into them. Like, why not have another group of, of, of uh, adventurers come across their campsite and be like, oh, dear God, do you mind if we set up here as well? You got a nice fire. You know, we'll, we'll throw some food on and we've got a bottle of wine. Right, 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 you right. Know, if and something does happen, you've got more numbers. Exactly. You know? And and maybe something does and maybe something doesn't. But the mm-hmm. whole point is it, it adds an element of excitement to the players yeah and gives them a way to interact with each other like you know you've got your noble characters like no i'm not sitting here with more peasantry and i don't even know these people meanwhile the fighters like dude it is dark out here i don't know these freaking roads i don't know what's in these woods let's Mm -hmm. have a few extra bodies that we can throw in that general direction you know so it changes the flavor of the scene and it gives uh depending on where it fits in your story maybe they know the characters Maybe they've heard of them. Maybe they start telling stories about them that they've heard from other places. Maybe your characters are wanted and they don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're about to walk into a town that has wanted posters of them up, you know, and that gives you those conversations and things that those those other characters can have with them. Those other NPCs can have with them and adds flavor to a scene. Um. Oh, God. Can you imagine like this this other party adventuring party coming and camping with you for the night and like being really chill about it and Mm -hmm. stuff like that and offering you food and whatnot and in the morning they stand up and they're like look we have your wanted posters and we totally were going to jump you but you turned out to be really decent people we just couldn't do that to you yeah so here's your wanted poster we never saw you yeah good luck exactly (laughs) like it wasn't until we recognized you by the fire that that's who you were but you, you guys were totally cool like we thought you might be killers by like oh god like they let us in, we let you know they they let us into the camp just to kill us mm-hmm. like oh shit you know and then um you've got the the information gathering type that you had put on here and i i i always find that to be kind of its own thing that whether you're interrogating someone yeah. or you're sweet talking someone or you're sneaking in to do something, those kind of encounters are asked for. Oh, all the time. Yeah. All the time. I mean, look, I mean, we, 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 we talk a lot about, uh, you know, D and D and stuff like that, but like, I mean, hell Shadowrun is Shadowrun is almost entirely built around this mechanic of, you know, corporate infiltration and espionage, you know, break into the secret lab, steal the plans for the mm-hmm. new cyberware generation, you know. Of, I mean, that's, of... like in Shadowrun, that's a mission on its own. Yeah, it is. But at the same time, like in Shadowrun, you could always be like, oh, we're trying to break into this place. And one of the players is like, what's the easiest way? And they're like, through the front door with a key card. Well, mm-hmm. where do we get one of those? Well, I mean, those are only offered by these people. Can we go get one of those people? And you're mm-hmm. like... Yeah, I think you could. Or even just, you know, this job would be a lot easier to plan if we had the blueprints for the building. Uh, let me see if I can snoop through some archives real there quick. There you go. And, you know? you know, maybe you have to go get into, you know, there, there's an offline system because the, the building is, you know, ancient. So you have to go get hard copies. City archives. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and those are the kinds of things that you want to have an encounter. It doesn't have to be big or broad, mm-hmm. but it adds a lot of extra flavor to the moment and lets the players pull a little closer together, mm-hmm. you know, to come up with something. And you end up with, you know, the CSI kind of moments. Oh, you yeah. Know? You got to give bonus points anytime somebody throws on, so throws on some glasses and makes a terrible pun. Yeah. yeah! <laughs> um, so in saying that, we're talking uh, about putting those into your narrative and 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 making it fit. And this is kind of where not only our previous episodes add into this, but really these kind of squeeze in there to make it work so that you have these random encounters as part of your narrative or as their own narrative, which gets kind of interesting in its own example. Um, but if you've got a plot, and let's say you've you know you've got a nice start point you know the the players come to a town 
and the townspeople are saying they keep getting raided from these guys who are coming out of the mountains who are stealing their supplies and you know and taking their strong you know anybody strong enough in town who who doesn't fight back you know um for labor and mm-hmm. leave you know and you're like okay so they're taking slaves why are they taking slaves in the mountains you know so you've got that as an opening the plot's there you know what's going on you know and and maybe even you see some fire come out of the the mountains and you're like okay well something's going on up there right mm-hmm. You know how the end is. You know they're going to fight the big bad guy who's working on some dangerous weapon up in the mountains. And that's what, you know, you've got that kind of thing and his thugs encountered. But there has to be something in between there. Right. You can't just walk up there, fight him, and be done with it, you know? So that's where these kind of fit in. Not just the encounters that we've talked up to this point, but narrative encounters that the players want to do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because you need to have social beats in with your combat beats. Right. right. And by and, and sometimes just other beats. Um a good example of that is when you're uh when you have a high excitement beat, you know, an action beat or chase beat or something like that where your players just got done with that, you need to have a downtime beat. Might be a social beat, might be your, you know, introspective beat, but they have to be doing something. For instance, uh, in Lord of the Rings, they have to get through the door to get into the, the back door of Moria. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you get in the door? And that's that was a whole moment on its own, but it was quiet up until the fight sequence at the end of it. You know, but it but it was meant to be a pause with questions of what's going on, you know, and a step into an unknown encounter. Mm-hmm. You have to fill those gaps with those moments to be able to shift mood sometimes, Mm -hmm. to be able to shift action, to be able to get some more story out so that the players know why and what their motivations are moving through things. Nobody's instantaneously motivated. Exactly. And and sometimes, you know, you also use them so that you can um, build a journey. Yeah. You know, uh, so that you aren't just going like, well, we just walked up into the mountains and fought the big bad evil guy. Well, that was easy. Mm -hmm. You know, that feels anticlimactic. I mean, even if it is one of the best combat encounters you throw together, it's still going to be a lot more memorable if you had to hunt that guy down first. Right. If you had to, you know, fight through his rumpties first. If Mm -hmm. you had to figure out where his lair was, if it wasn't all obvious for you, you know. Exactly. Um, Sean and I actually got into a really great discussion about how to use these sort of encounters to string together um, uh, bounties, actually, in his game. Uh, We're playing Waterdeep Dragon Heist, and we have uh, a couple of various shades of bounty hunter (laughs) in our our adventuring party. And uh, so so slight spoilers for Dragon Heist. I I apologize if uh, if this is, but it's pretty early on in Dragon Heist, and it's a pretty major thing, I think. So uh, you get in a a tavern is gifted to you as payment. Um, And one of the things is kind of fixing up this tavern and making it your own and customizing it. So our, um, our preferred method, of course, with our bounty hunters is going out and doing bounties. There you go. You know, um, now, on a side note, you and I and the gang have been playing Ghost Recon Wildlands um, a little bit. It's a bit of an older game, but uh, it's it, it kind of follows the same sort of premise. And it executes it, I think, extraordinarily well, where you have these, these strategic targets um, that you either have to capture or kill. Um, but you can't just go after them, you know. You have to find one of their low-level enforcers and intimidate them into giving up where the hideout of the big bad evil guy is mm-hmm. or the lieutenant anyways the the, the mm-hmm. you're not even going after the big bad evil guy you're trying to take down his empire one little lieutenant at a time you know so you intimidate the lower level henchmen to give you to give you the location of the hideout of the lieutenant you go to the hideout and you investigate there to find out where he's really hiding out and then that's going to then lead you to maybe another place where you have to destroy something where you know he'll have to respond so he comes out of hiding Mm -hmm. when you destroy that secondary target and that's when he's exposed and you can go after him right and it makes it a long chain of events to try to get to this person. And so by the time you get to them, they feel important because you put work into hunting them down. And 
So Sean and I actually had a really great discussion about incorporating those sort of mechanics, mm-hmm. and he actually did a pretty good job with it. Um, mm-hmm. with uh, uh, just uh, what what he did during the game. Uh, the, the discussion took place after the game, so I right. think we'll see some further, um, you know, maybe changes and improvements to his to his style there. But, um, at least for the time, uh, what he put together was. You know, we, we we had a bounty target, and uh, so we went down to the dock district and had to uh, strong arm one of his low level enforcers mm-hmm. to give up where this guy was hiding out, and that was great. Um, but of course, you know, one of the, one of the questions that kind of came up was, well, how do I know what you guys are going to do? You know, what if I write down that you have to intimidate this guy, but instead you guys decide to bribe him? Right, or sweet talk him. Yeah, and so the you know the obvious answer is is that you um that that's it that works. You know, you might have a preferred way that this guy relates to other people. Maybe bribes work better than intimidation, but if you roll high enough on intimidate or enough times or give him sufficient you know leverage, by all means, the guy gives you the information. If you if you sweet talk him or bribe him, he gives you the information. If you kill him. He has a note on him that has the information, you know, one way or another, that finding and interacting with this person should provide you some challenges for role play, but then give up that plot point so that you can move forward, you know, and then once you've moved forward, you've got your next encounter and maybe that's sneaking into the secret layer. Maybe that's kicking the door down to the secret layer. I don't know. Right. But you've got your next, you've got your next uh, encounter in the chain, and it's these, it's these little out of scope encounters, like these little interrogations or these little, you know, um, smash and grabs or little um, stealth infiltrations that will give you your A to B to C to D. So when you finally do get to E, it feels like you've put the legwork in, and it feels like an accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, it's it's its own narrative it's its own series if you will um to be able to chain just event 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 and again even in your examples you're talking about creating effectively random moments Mm -hmm. that you in your head know what the important piece to each one of those components are but really they could happen anywhere they really could yeah and again the options are endless so they're they sit outside of this in a nebulous kind of state, but they are still, they are encounters. Mm-hmm. They are small encounters that lead to the larger plot yes. at hand that are giving you pieces of it um, so that each of those scenes have its own meaning. And I think the the key components of that, which make it difficult, and even we forget about it at times, is that your NPCs, just like every other encounter, need to have a reason why they're there, mm-hmm. what they're doing that day. And what their motivations are. Oh, yeah. Adding an attitude to that helps a lot. Oh, absolutely. Are they upset because it's cold? Are they angry because they're out of stock? Are they, you know, are they compassionate because it's their daughter's birthday? You know, uh, are they exceptionally happy because it's the festival and in three days there's going to be 300 new people in town buying stuff? Mm -hmm. You know, are they worried that they're not going to be available? These are all feelings that you can write down very quickly and use in your dialogue to make them real. Yeah. And give your players the sense that every time they enter a scene, it is something that is crafted and beautiful and thought out and how you answer them, regardless of if that person, you know, if the person's joyous and bubbly, right. But they're actually, their education is quite low. Right. And they decide to interrogate them. You already know everything, mm-hmm. how they're going to respond. Because again, they're, they're trying to interrogate somebody who doesn't understand interrogation. They're literally just confused. Through yeah. the whole interrogation, they're like, "Tell us where the you know, tell us where this is." Uh, I I don't know. Like, why are you asking me? I'm a shopkeeper. Like, this doesn't even make sense. I've got to get back to work here, people. Mm-hmm. Don't you understand? I have a sword to your throat. I have thirty of them in the back room. Do you need it sharpened or something? Like, right. I don't understand because he's in. He doesn't understand the threat that's happening. Yeah, you know. At the same time, you can have a big burly person who's normally a gruffy gump 
Gus, who has it in his mind that the only reason why he was walking down this path, well, he wasn't on guard duty. Like, that's up at the, the main, you know, main thing. He was on a light patrol, but he took this route because he wants a scone mm-hmm. really bad. And that scone is literally 25 feet behind the players being laid out. And they're slowly being removed from the cabinet because people are buying them. And his brain is firmly fixed on getting one of those scones. Oh, God, can you imagine trying to get an intimidation? The guy keeps, like, looking behind you and mm-hmm. inching in a direction. You're like, he's going to run. He's going to run. He's going to run. He's like, look, I just... Give me one moment. I'll be right back and just ducks into the thing, buys a scone, comes right back out and is like, oh, it's still warm. Okay, what did you guys need to know? Yeah, exactly. Like, he doesn't give Like, that was the key to get him to, to getting him to talk, you know? It was just get the guy, get the guy a yeah. scone, you yeah, know? I mean, at that person, someone does an insight check and you're like, he's looking over your shoulder at the bakery. Yeah. I'm going to take him into the bakery. You're going to take him to the bakery. I'm taking him into the bakery. Would you like to take this conversation inside? Oh, dear God, please. Yes. <laughs> You know, and that can be a simple motivation that yeah. shifts the whole scene to something more interesting. Exactly. And, you know, I think so many, so, a lot of times we, we sometimes like interrogation scenes really kind of like get weird for me. Yeah. You know, because um, on one hand, yeah, okay, you want to be like the tough guy edgelord characters and, you know, break a few fingers or whatever. But it's weird as a storyteller to describe that, Yeah, at least for me, you know. So I'm always I'm always wondered, like, where, where do you X card that, you know, and to say, like, he just gives you the information. Like, you know, I think in a in a dark fantasy setting or a grim reality setting mm-hmm. where all of your players are comfortable with the fact of crunching of bones and breaking of knuckles and things like and that. Blood curdling screams yeah, of agony. You're, yeah, you're pretty much accepting that but otherwise like no do it off scene yeah you know i always like in 7c the way that they break down the descriptions of like interrogations and things usually done by the villains uh-huh. because they they are a visual scene that happens outside of the player's purview but echo to their real excuse me to their reality so you may hear the whole conversation with the bad guy and then, you know, you explain that, you know, the view opens up to the, the you know, of the city and the sun setting. And as it crests the horizon and the green light cascades across the water, a scream can be heard from the to- bellows of the tower. Oof. And you're like, oh, God, he he's either torturing or killing him. Mm-hmm. And you're like, ooh, like that sets who the tone for who that person is, you know, and, you know, that... Those kinds of moments can be done off screen, mm-hmm. you know, if you will, or off offset, but still give all of the full feeling yeah. of it. Um, a good example was our last session with you. We burned out the basement. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to go into detail for us. Yeah. I mean, there was a little bit and you could tell at which point we were done listening to the little bit. And you basically just backed off the conversation at that point. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, I basically just said that you know that the, you you go you go back to your camp and you spend the evening watching the firelight of the of the tavern collapsing in on itself. Correct. You could have explained the scents and screams and things like that, but I should have. What was the point? Yeah, it doesn't add to the ambiance of our scene. It does. There's no impact meant there. You killed it with fire and scene. Yeah, yeah. unless there was a player specifically who was whose goal was trying not to be an evil person and and, and thou shalt not harm a soul, mm. you might come back to that person and, and make them a note that says your dreams are, you know, betrayed and dark and all you hear are the thousands of screams mm-hmm. and fire burning around them. And you're like, oh, that was me. I did that. You know? Yeah. And, and let that linger for that player. But it's not that important for the whole group. Mm-hmm. So I've, but, but, but I, I, I love, I love the concept of like alternate interrogation bribes, though, you know? <laughs> um, it reminds me of, uh, did you ever see the, the movie Ronin? Yeah. Okay. Um, there's a, a scene in there with, uh, who's the main character? De Niro? Is it yeah, De Niro? Yeah. De Niro. Um, and he says, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've only ever, I've only ever broken, uh, an interrogation once. And, uh, this is like surrounded by a bunch of like hardened, you know, professional criminals and hitmen mm-hmm. and stuff like that. He says, yeah, I've only, I've only ever cracked under interrogation once. And they're like, oh, wow, you cracked? Like, what, what did they do to you? Did they, you know, were they torturing you? Were they mm-hmm. putting like bamboo shoots under your, in your fingernails or something? He's like, no. They gave me a grasshopper and they like stone cold killers look him in the eye and go kind of ghost white and go, what's a grasshopper? And he goes, it's like one part cream to mint, one part uh, ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one, yeah, ice cream yeah. And, 
they they just got him a little tipsy, you know, yeah. with an ice cream drink. Yeah. <laughs> and I I think that's I think it's great. Sometimes it's just knowing how to ask for things, you know. Um so you you brought up an interesting point too about uh stringing together encounters cuz like so my my point was using these as a um as glue to chain together a to b to c to d to e um but your point was very interesting to me and that was sometimes your players discover a pattern where none was intended yes and then there is emergent gameplay that happens an emergent story where they go how come we keep running into bandits here there's gotta be something and you're like well you were running into bandits because i rolled 37 on the random encounter chart three times in a row yep. but now there's a big bad evil guy since you guys are asking yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, i mean or, or you have a situation where they just start asking questions and going down a path uh-huh. and they build their own summary of what of what the events were and you go along with it and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. And then they do something silly. Like we're going to go find this. And you're like, you're interested in where the homeless girl lives, like where she stays. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're going to go make sure her place is better. Okay. And so you have to come up with what's next in mm-hmm. that chain and somehow bring it around to your plot. And the truth is, it doesn't matter where your plot was going. It only matters that this is more information. Yeah. This is going to loop back in some way. It doesn't have to be super meaningful. It could be a book. It could be a note. It could be a picture. It could be something that somebody had stashed there. At the Maybe the house is the first house that one of the henchmen lived in, mm-hmm. you know, that burned. And yet there's still enough of it left that there are parts of him in there. So now they know things about that henchman's past. You know, that you were going to show them in some other moment. Mm-hmm. Great. Now they start following that because they want to know, they want to go get this henchman and interrogate him. And you're like, okay, well, that brings us back to plot, but that's not, that wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, he was going to be hunting them, so now they're hunting him? Oh, all right. So, chaining events that your players put together needs to still have exposition of your plot. Don't necessarily worry so much about redefining your setting or adding extra setting elements or things like that. Give them unique scenes that they're asking for, but filter into it the imp- one important piece of information that con- reconnects it back to plot. Yes, yes. Keep giving them the breadcrumbs to bring them back to plot. That's something I'm remarkably bad at. It's hard for everybody. It really is because you you've you've got to always keep that plot in your back in the back of your head. Mm-hmm. So even when you're when you're you're BSing a completely improvised scene, yep, you've always got to be thinking how do I further the plot with this? You know, and, and and the biggest key to pretty much any random encounter is again besides having your NPC like we had described, making them meaningful, making mm-hmm. giving them at least three of the components to make them feel meaningful. It is making sure that you know what you as the storyteller want to get out of that scene. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's, I think the important part is know what what your end goal is. It doesn't matter how they get to it. It just matters what your important thing, and it shouldn't be reliant on their actions. Mm -hmm. It should be 100. That that final trigger is nothing to do with whatever they do. Yep. If they need to get information, it comes in a book, comes out of somebody's mouth, comes out of some meaningful result of the challenge. Mm -hmm. Boom. Done. And failure isn't an option to get it. There's just a consequence. A consequence, exactly. And that's, that's I think, one of your better points there is yeah. that just because you fail an interrogation check, like you, you had mentioned when we were discussing this earlier mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, putting our, our topic sheet together. Um, for instance, like, you know, da- a la Batman, you know, yeah. dangling the, the henchman off of the edge of the roof yeah. by his foot and, you know, demanding, who do you work for or something like that. Okay, so you roll a three on your intimidate check. Right. Obviously, that's that's a quote-unquote failure. Right. But that doesn't mean you're not getting the information. That just means you have an added consequence to it. Maybe that henchman then goes, you know, I'm, I'm working for Don Corleone or whatever, you know, whatever bad guy you throw out there. Yeah. But he's so freaked out. Like you've done, you've intimidated him too much. Right. And he starts flailing out of fear, thinking you're going to kill him so much that he wriggles out of your grip and falls three stories head first to his death. Right. And now you've got a body. Mm-hmm. And now you're, you know, the the vigilante who never hurts anybody has now murdered somebody potentially, you know. Right. 
or whatever, you know, right. but, but that's a consequence. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a complication right. that you've got. Right. And, and it's those kinds of moments that define the player, the sale, the, the, again, successes and failures should always be about the actions of the players. Mm-hmm. And it should create a, either a, a consequence in either way, positive or negative, um, that pushes the story forward for them personally. Whereas the um, the meaning of the scene should always continue. Whatever you meant to get out of it, whatever the final trigger was, mm-hmm. you got your information, trigger is merely what is the consequence and where do we move from here? Yep. Is it, you know, did we succeed? And we can just walk away from this and go the direction we want to go? Or did we have a consequence, a failure and a consequence, and now we have to, we're now on the run and have to hide Mm -hmm. to get to where we're doing next? Or does someone know about this? Do we now have to change gears suddenly? So that it, the trigger that we talk about doesn't necessarily mean that we're triggering another part of the plot. We're just triggering a cascade of events. Yeah. That now the players have a choice. You should, and it's one of the hardest freaking things to do is that when you finish a scene your players should have a trigger for what's next they should know where they're going correct and it is exceptionally hard when you're good at closure and you bring people back to base and you know and when i say base i mean wherever they started their Mm -hmm. mental start point their physical start point when you finish your loop of your scene they should have a good understanding of what are the options next yeah and they should be talking about those options next Right. And some of the options are going to be grand depending on where you're at in the story. Maybe you just closed up a section of arc. And so now they're waiting to make a big decision. Mm-hmm. That's great. But any of these little scenes sh- that are leading from one to the next should always feel like the players know what's next on the plate. Yeah. Like, do we do, do we go after Don Corleone? Or do we now have a problem because we just killed one of his guys who we fully intended on leaving here to tell him that we were coming? Yep. So now he doesn't know we're coming, but tomorrow he's going to know because there was a body. Yeah. And and we have to deal with that. We have to deal with the, the fallout of that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're now a different kind of player on the table. You know, it was one thing when he's shooting at us. It's another thing that we just killed one of his guys. Also, the cops wouldn't probably bat an eyelash if you roughed up one of don corleone's henchmen but, and left him but a body has to be responded to correct so that changed another that's no longer on the table. justice yep you know that's vengeance yep you you've, you've changed your mo mm-hmm. you know and in a D term you're now wanted for murder yeah you know it's one thing you know it, it, and <laughs> i it's funny to say it but uh so many times uh it is acceptable to hunt monsters mm-hmm. in worlds. Uh, but the moment that you harm an intelligent humanoid, you violated the law. Yeah. And and that's where things can get interesting depending on who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Because I assure you, the goblins have a different story. Oh, yeah. And they may take it very differently if you just bind up their guys and hide them in the cave, you know, and, and basically give them a knife on the other side of the room that they'll eventually all have to get to <laughs> to get themselves out of it. But, you know, you're done interrogating them. You're not going to kill them. Like, what, what, what's the problem? They're just goblins. You know, mm-hmm. they're not going to go mess with that town anymore because you just told them, you know, they're going to go move somewhere else. But if you murder them all and you didn't get all of them, there's a good chance that someone's going to want you later. Mm-hmm. You know, Grub Grub is going to get his friends and come get you. Think of think of how many character backgrounds start with my entire family was murdered. And yeah. so I became an adventurer to get vengeance on the bad guy. I've, uh, when, I've heard when, weirder when you, stories. When you murder someone's entire family, you just became another, another anti-hero's you know <laughs> yeah um I, I there was a uh, a campaign that i was reading about where literally the the opening zero session to define the players he basically wanted to know whether the players were going to be murder hobos or heroes mm-hmm. and these players normally played as heroes and so he gave them a, you know he started they were very you know i think they were third level they started at because he, he just like I'm, I'm getting over the light stuff and but gave them a very light encounter the first basically they had to you know they were taking care of a favor for a lord and he's like hey i've got a farming community that's getting ravaged by these stupid goblins who came in from the 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 caves not far away mm-hmm. that the the miners are no longer in can you go clear them out of the caves and just 
you know, or, or close up the cave so that they aren't going to be coming out of these farmers. You know, I'll, I'll take care of your repairs and anything like that and put you up for the night. But uh, it, it's going to be a couple of days before I can get the caravan ready to go north to the, to the you know, seat of the kingdom. Take care of this for me. And so that was their zero level was mm-hmm. going to do this. And they murdered all of the goblins in the cave, mm-hmm. taking care of them. Basically, they took care of the problem. Sure, sure. The goblins were using freaking sticks and hand, and, and and very light weapons. They were yeah. not even at risk. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, they didn't get them all. They knocked out three of them and didn't finish them. Mm-hmm. Left them basically asleep. Um, and so he had those three saved off to the side. And as the la- players leveled up, he leveled them up. Oh, God. Two years later... Oh, no. Worth of campaigning, they started doing attacks on the player's group. That is the long game, and I respect that so much. Ambushing them, doing that. They had teamed up with an orc group Uh that had also gotten their asses handed to them. Um, They found uh, an elf to interrogate and left them for dead, stapled to a tree with a note on them that Mm -hmm. was illegible. You know, basically, was their their MO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, any town that they did something good in, they went and messed with. Oh, geez. So basically left ruin behind them. And so their respect for these pe- people started dropping. They're mm-hmm. like, we don't know who this, like, butthead that's following us is. You know, we get these weird attacks. And come to find out, like, finally they faced up against them. Like, they, 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 they figured a way to get them and created a trap for them. And these three goblins come out and they're like, wait a second. Goblins? Like, I recognize you guys, but these guys were buff. They were angry. They had all the gear that they, uh-huh. they had ditched, basically, at various places, and they oh, had ignored. God. So, like, these guys were ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they, it was a hard fought, and that wasn't even the main plot. That was just extra encounters. That's amazing. I thought that was beautiful. That but, is... I mean, that's a long game. Awe-inspiring. Yeah. It's stuff like that that can make... Uh, these kind of side encounters, these out-of-scope encounters, even more interesting because when the players go to do something and start heading in a direction that's obvious, someone can beat them to it. Mm-hmm. And you can run into those paths and you're like, oh, what the heck is this? And it, it's, it's its own side plot, basically, but it gives the player something extra that they could kind of go after. Yeah, yeah. So, You want to do some questions? Yeah. All I right. think we got time for those. Yeah, we got a, we got a couple questions here. Uh, so knocks in the box. Um, so it's, uh, he says, uh, I guess my first question is what is an other, what is an other encounter? Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we described some of those, uh, is something like stealing an item or besieging a fortress. I think those are great examples. Yeah. Um, st- uh, stealing an item, uh, that's typically more, more, more of your like clandestine encounters. Yeah. Um, a lot of times you use this to like gather information, but stealing an item can be a great encounter oh, very much uh, so. that I don't know necessarily fits in as like a social encounter or as like, a combat encounter or anything like that. Um, it can turn into a combat encounter by all means if you're seen. Um, but, uh, yeah. And besieging a fortress. Uh, yeah. I mean, depends on how you do it. I could, I could actually see that as a as a bespoke, you know, kind of. I don't know that that would really fit into one of the major encounter types. No, and I I think it definitely fits in because again, we're talking about we had talked about this before with with siege and large scale battles. Really, you're cutting it down into little scenes, little scenes. And so because, when you're yeah. doing little scenes like that, you are talking about random moments and how they're going to get through those moments. Right, 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 um, right. And the encounter is more about handling the battle at large. Like, mm-hmm. what are they doing to besiege a fortress? This... It's the four, four, five, six players are doing it, but there's got to be more involved in this. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the siege itself almost becomes an environment in which mm-hmm. these other encounters are taking place in. Yeah. Um, a great example um, is if you look at the besiege that occurred in Princess Bride. From the moment that they're discovering what to do mm-hmm. to getting the parts that they need to sieging the front gate are all tiny little scenes yeah. That don't tie to the main plot much, but you do get exposition in each part of those. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's a great little chain of encounters that the players made the decisions on what to do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, Jesus, if we only had a Holocaust cloak. Oh, I can't help you there. Actually, I do have one. Well, great. We've got an idea. Miracle Next said it yeah. fits so good, I could yeah. keep it. Well, if we had a wheelbarrow, I, I know what there's a wheelbarrow. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and those are the types of things that lead from one to the next. Exactly. Exactly. So... Um, so what kind of systems do you think work best for events like this? 
systems? Um, I I tend to like uh skill challenge sort of stuff. Okay. Um, now, obviously, if one person is doing the talking in like an interrogation or something like that, it is up to them to roll an appropriate social check or something like that. Um, if there's one person sneaking in to steal an item, then obviously it's a lot of their stealth, a lot of their perception um, to, uh, you know, make it through that. But, you know, when you've got groups of things uh, or groups of players, I, I like doing the skill challenge sort of thing. It's a, it's a um, mechanic that became popular with fourth edition that I've seen a lot of people drag into fifth edition because it worked so well. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is basically that everybody has to contribute something. Mm -hmm. Nobody can contribute the same thing. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of up to the players what they want to contribute and how they want to contribute it. Yeah. You know, so like, okay, it's a skill challenge to um, navigate your way through the battlefield. Well, I'm going to use survival. Okay. Okay. How are you using survival? Well, the terrain itself largely dictates the flow of the battle. So I'm going to try to put us into more difficult terrain so that we can navigate it without running into major squads of people. Excellent. Okay, cool. You roll me a survival check. Now, nobody else at the table can roll a survival check. But in some cases, you might give advantage. Right. Okay. But um, maybe the next person down says, well, I have a really good persuasion. I can maybe roll a persuasion check to see if I can ask one of the nearby lieutenants or something like that where the forces are moving so we can avoid them, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and you go through each one of those checks and you decide based based on the amount of successes the group gets mm-hmm. and failures that they get For the consequences, um, what yeah. the consequences of that action are. Yeah. yeah. And again, remember, consequences doesn't necessarily mean negative. Consequences are just what are the consequences of the actions? Yeah. Where do you go? Yeah. So I mean, just remember it, that. The, the sun comes out and shines, you know, shines bright and you have a great day is a consequence of, you know, making good, a, good making weather good watching and maybe yep. a little application of control weather spells. Yeah. But I, I like making sure. And the, I guess the other thing for me is, and at least from my side is, I like descriptors from players. Mm-hmm. But if a player says, I want to use, I, I'm good at persuasion. Okay. Um. And then they make a roll as their first thing that they do. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily need to know what they're doing before they make that roll if they know the direction they're taking. Because maybe they can't fully think like their character. I always still like to ask. I I agree asking. Just just to ask because some people have a particular way in which they want their character to be narrated. Sure. And so even if they are in the camp of like, I I don't, I don't really know how to say it. Like I'm not a great, you know, order like my, Mm -hmm. like my character is, but I, I want to just try to get this guy to think this about me. Mm hmm. Okay, now yeah. now I know how to reiterate right. that. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You rolled a 28. Yeah, sure. You you sweet-talk the guy, and he comes across like, absolutely, yes, eating under your hand mm-hmm. in exactly the way in which you described. Yeah. So, yeah. but but making sure that you're, you're not forcing the vocalization of the player to dictate the success or failure beyond the dice. Mm-hmm. That's that's my whole thing is that if a, if a player comes up with an idea and a direction they want to take with it, sure. It could be successful. Yeah. There's no yeah. reason why it can't be. But the, also, you have to come to the realization that the fighter's main way that they're going to do something is fight. A, a, a bard's main way is persuasion. Yeah. And if you, as the storyteller, get bored that the trope of the character you're working with is using their skill set, maybe that's you and not them. Yeah, maybe. I mean... It's it's it, it does get boring. I get it. And we always want to say, like, no, you can't persuade that guard to do the thing you want to do. Maybe they're not going to get the result in their mind that they're going to get, but they're still going to get a successful result for rolling a 29. It's going to be some consequence. And again, you're getting them to the point that you want in the plot, not necessarily the outcome that they're expecting. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, again, it all depends on the drive of that person. You know, they're not just going to give up their whole shop to them for rolling a 26, but they are going to give them some extra information. Sure. You know, and it's going to get them farther in a plot, which is way more important than mm-hmm. anything else. So that that's my whole point to that is, is that remember that when you're doing the scenes, these little encounters and stuff, the success is the success for the player to, to achieve something within the scene and have a good, a positive experience and a positive consequence. And that positive consequence may not be the exact result they're expecting. Right, right. You know, your fighter may not be able to kill the dude in one hit, but if he rolls a, you know, 
a 26 and rolls max damage, you know, and totally beats the guy's armor and everything. And he's got like three or four hit points left. You're like, well, technically he's not dead, but it also doesn't mean that you didn't just catch him off balance and he went right over the wall, Mm -hmm. you know, heck yeah. Except that. And then your player's going to be like, well, I didn't kill him, but I guess he's dead. That still counts as my kill. You know, <laughs> he spends the next 45 minutes going, ah, ee, ooh, yeah. ah. You can hear him over the side of the wall crying like a little girl, ah. you know, because he's just hurt his knee or, or in the case, crying like a little Homer. He, he falls on his keys. <laughs> oh, God, that hurts. Uh, so Overwatch says, have you ever introduced an encounter just out of left field, though, that your PCs had no idea how to proceed? How do you keep the game going after that? Oh, God. Um, the first one I think of is the gazebo scene. <laughs> I mean, I think the gazebo is is probably the most famous. Yeah, where, it's, where they have this. no idea what a gazebo is and just kind of try to roll with it. And you're like, how do you not understand this? Um, but I think that's a good way of... Of, of framing it is if your players don't understand what you're presenting them, it gets really challenging to try and figure out what you're going to do now. I don't know that I've ever derailed my own game with a, uh, with, with, with a, but, but I have stopped them dead in their tracks. Mm-hmm. I remember talking about this, uh, this encounter on a previous episode, though I don't remember the context. Um, but I had a uh, an evil cult involved in one of my past games, and uh, they decided to try to assassinate the party by summoning demons. Mm-hmm. And so there were these three big demons that, that they were going to come across as these major boss encounters right. on their journey up north. And uh, one of them essentially was just standing in the middle of the road waiting for them. And they're like, ah, oh, crap, here we go. And they all just kind of pull out their weapons and this demon starts talking to them. And he's like, ah, I knew it would come to this, you know, so tell me your names so that I might savor them on my tongue before I taste your flesh. Mm. And one of them kind of looks up and goes, wait, really? Like, you you, you want to talk? Yeah. We're not just going to roll initiative and fight? <laughs> like, <laughs> are you are you monologuing? Are <laughs> <Like>, you <laughs> monologuing? <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have definitely been caught off by players uh, doing something different in a scene than I expected them to do. So I think in that sense, there's been some stuff. But uh, I think the closest I got was the uh, ghost encounter in 7th Sea that I did on the ship with you guys, where you had the specter who was messing with your minds. Oh, yeah. And you guys were all seeing different things. And I had a pretty clear vision of what was going on. And you were all not necessarily on the same page, which kind of worked out for the confusion level of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that was the one because there was a lot of odd information going on with that scene. Everybody was seeing different things. Yeah. And that made it very challenging and very, I had to be very specific with everyone about what they were seeing and it didn't come through very clearly because everybody wasn't necessarily on the players weren't all on the ball at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it closed in an accurate way. Yeah. I got through the end of the scene the way I expected it to go. Uh, But I think I had to rail the scene a little more than I wanted to. Yeah, yeah, probably. Because there was no because the player you as players you guys didn't see the options beset before you. Yeah, that's that's you know, I, I, that's one thing with like puzzle design and encounters and stuff of like that like you almost have to put it at like a kindergarten level sometimes because there's so much other stuff going on in games that your players sometimes just don't they they're not thinking on the same deep level as you. You know, yeah. they don't have that same overhead view mm-hmm. and when they can only see that little sliver of things mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and that wasn't a a random scene. That was a crafted scene that I'd built, but I think I had crafted it too far. Yeah, and I think that's really where where you can uh, go too deep with your player with with mm-hmm. what you do. Is mm-hmm. sometimes you have to scale back visions because your players aren't there yet, yeah. or they they can't get into that depth, and that's okay. I mean, your visions, like my visions, are very cinematic, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that can get me into a lot of trouble. Yeah. Um, when I'm doing my game. So I would say just be mindful of that about your players and, and where they can end up and, and how far they can get into your scene. Yeah. So that's good advice. So 
Next week's topic, we're going to be uh, actually doing a delving warp back into another system spotlight. Uh, we're going to be talking about Savage Worlds this time. Yeah. Uh, so it'd be good to uh, to roll up our sleeves and dig into that a little bit. Um, we, you can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave, on Instagram st underscore conclave. You can listen to us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave. And please join us on our Discord. You can find the link to that up on our uh, Twitter. We tweet that link out uh, pretty, pretty often. And you can find it on our website at uh, storytellerconclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members, especially our contributing members of Knox, Sam, The Arcane Asylum, and Sparkle Motion. We really appreciate all of you and all the help you do to help us uh, get through this every single week. Our pre-show music was Arcane Anthems. You can find that at uh, patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music was Beyond the Warriors by Gee Frog. You can find that at geefrogmusic.webly.com. And our outro music is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at soundcloud.com slash machine slash tracks. A big shout out to our families as always, Vicky and Sean. Thank, thank you so you. much for supporting us. All of our friends have sat with us at our tables over the years and given us great experiences to share with you and you, every single one of our listeners. We love you. Good night, everybody.